2: sounds music radio podcasts
1: hello i'm alistair sook and welcome to a special episode of the way i see it devoted almost entirely to movement and the surprising intersection between dance film and the natural world
2: when is my leg in the frame uh, here? that's pretty good there yeah okay yeah. go right, for action. it action okay
1: as ever, we're inviting a prominent cultural figure to select a work from the permanent collection of almost 200,000 objects at MoMA, the Museum of Modern Art in New York, and then explain to us why they see their choice the way they do. And occasionally we've been filming our guests as well as recording them. Oh,
2: yeah. Maybe, okay, I think this would be funny if you come and sit down and then I like come <laughs> yeah. up. Oh, yes. That's great. Yeah. Okay.
1: And what you're hearing is the setup for one of those filmed interviews.
2: My name's Isabella Boylston, and I'm a principal ballerina with American Ballet Theatre in New York City. And I chose Study in Choreography for Camera, directed by Maya Darin and starring Tally Beatty.
1: In a moment, we'll come to the experimental, independent, Ukrainian born filmmaker Maya Darin and the African American dancer and choreographer Tally Beatty. First, though, A few words about Isabella Boylston, a principal dancer with American Ballet Theatre, one of the world's leading classical dance companies. To be a principal requires long, disciplined hours in the rehearsal studio, but Isabella has a voracious appetite for culture away from the stage and is always on the lookout for inspiration and ideas about how her art form might transcend theatrical performance
2: dance is such a difficult thing to capture on film because I mean part of the beauty of live performance is that it's live and it's in the moment and then it's over and you can't like edit it or filter it and I feel like when you see dance depicted on film and it's able to reveal something different about the dance that you wouldn't get in a live performance that's when to me it's really effective and powerful.
1: Isabella was already a fan of Maya Deren's influential non-narrative dreamlike film from 1943, Meshes of the Afternoon, once voted by the BBC, no less, so this must be correct, as one of the greatest American movies ever made. But true to her desire to learn more, Isabella asked Sophie Cavulakos, a curator in MoMA's film department, to suggest another work by Deren. As a result, the pair met up in MoMA Cinema to watch A Study in Choreography for Camera, a fluid and bewitching black-and-white film shot on 16mm, which lasts less than three minutes. At this point, I should probably let you know that it's also a silent film, which isn't perhaps ideal for radio. However, Isabella and Sophie were more than capable of bringing it to life. And if you still need help imagining it, well, you can actually watch it online. We're
0: looking at a dancer, choreographer, Telly in a forest.
2: I mean, that reminds me a little bit of Nijinsky's Afternoon of a Fawn, the, his starting position. How he starts in a low crouch and then he stretches up and stretches up, like in each frame. He's in a forest and he could be like a growing tree.
0: And then the scene cuts and you go from the forest to the interior. And the way you do that is you see only the leg.
2: Yeah, a beautiful développe with a pointed foot.
1: A beautiful développe. American Ballet Theatre's helpful online ballet dictionary glosses this as a movement in which the working leg is drawn up to the knee of the supporting leg and slowly extended to an open position and held there with perfect control. And rest. Rest which is what we observe near the start of a study and choreography for camera, as the same pointed foot and leg appears to bridge a dramatic cut, cleverly linking two separate scenes. Now, as I said, there isn't any music in Maya Deran's short film. Music like this, Debussy's ten-minute-long symphonic poem, which inspired dancer Vaslav Najinsky’s choreography for L'après-midi d'un faune, or Afternoon of a Fawn which scandalised its Parisian audience on its premiere in 1912. Rather, in Derren's study and choreography for camera, we simply watch as a dancer performs first outside in the natural world in a silvery forest, then inside the stylish living room of a townhouse apartment, before suddenly appearing in a gallery filled with Asian sculpture at the Metropolitan Museum of Art on the edge of Central Park, and finally arriving back in a natural setting similar to the one that we saw at the start. There's no story, there's no plot, no obvious narrative at all, just, as the title suggests, a series of exquisitely choreographed performances in miniature.
0: She had a name for that. She called it Choreo Cinema. Choreo Cinema. Choreo Cinema, yeah. So the idea, and this is the film in which it's the most articulated, that it's not, as you just said, it's not the documentation of a dance.
2: Which can be so boring. Just the trajectory of the different locations that he's in makes me wonder what they're trying to say with that. Starting in a natural setting and then he's in an apartment and then he's in the Met with you see sculptures and then he's back outside in nature. Dance is a very elevated way of moving your body in general and I think there's something that could be seen as spiritual or transcendent about that that evolution from nature to a more civilized setting. The way that it's cut up gives it a very surreal feeling. The way that time is portrayed, it's not like necessarily a straight line. I think that gives it the dreamlike quality and the surreal quality. This part is so cool when he's eclipsing the sky.
1: Perhaps there's a ballet term to describe the stance that dancer Tally Beatty adopts facing away from the camera at the end of this short film. But Isabella's phrase, eclipsing the sky, does the job much better as Beatty appears as both overlord of and at one with the natural world he surveys.
0: Tally Beatty was an African-American dancer, choreographer, born 1918 from Chicago and in his teens, actually very, very early on in the 30s, started dancing with Catherine Dunham Company, Catherine Dunham being one of the leading African-American dancers really of the 20th century and somebody who formed her own company and brought in a very wide range of talents and collaborators And later on, Darren would come to work with the company and this collaboration, this film, in some way comes from that common context.
2: I was just really blown away by him, how he moves and looks and also his presence, his face, even though it's like shadowed for a lot of it, the intensity of his expression. It's almost like he's achieving godlike status in the end, leaping in front of the sky.
1: The other half of the partnership... And in the case of a study in choreography for camera, it really is a partnership between dancer and filmmaker, is Maya Derin.
0: Maya Derin was a Ukrainian-born American filmmaker, born in 1917, emigrated to the US as a young person... And she is really one of the cinematic voices that brought the field of, let's say, experimental filmmaking or artist filmmaking forward in the 40s and 50s with a body of work that was really influential in its time and to
1: subsequent generations. A study in choreography for camera makes Isabella reflect not only on the specific physicality of the moves executed by Beatty – but also on what motivates them. What's going on inside his character's head as he dances, first in a forest, then in a city?
2: It's interesting because I feel like that tension between what's in the character's mind and what's in their reality is something that I think about a lot as a dancer with different roles that I'm portraying. And I feel like a lot of the times it's up to the dancer to decide, is this what Giselle's thinking, for example, or is this what she's actually doing with a lot of the classics, a lot of the characters just built into the physicality of the movement, so it just is sort of innately there. Giselle's definitely one of the hardest dramatically to portray, because she goes crazy on stage and then dies of a broken heart. And I feel like there are just so many different directions that you can take the character, which is fun, and I think also like keeps it fresh despite the fact that it's a ballet that's been performed for centuries. I love how in the credits it says by Maya Darren and Tally Beatty that's it,
0: that's, that's exactly it it was a complete collaboration and it's like a dance film like mm-hmm. no other, you know, yeah. the, the choreography is really between the dance uh-huh. and the camera
2: Yeah. I've really enjoyed when I'm able to have a longer collaboration with choreographers like our resident choreographer at ABT Alexei Ratmansky, we've worked together on at least 10 ballets by now. And so it feels like we don't even have to talk. We can just understand what the other person needs.
0: Maybe that's what we just saw between Darren and (laughs) Beatty. I know, I wonder
2: how much of that was actually choreography and how much was improv. Who was the choreographer, really? Yeah, should we watch it again? Ready to go? Yeah, let's do it. You
0: go from ways of encountering this dancer, this artist, that are very, very close up, very subjective, very intimate, and then are also in these wider shots that show off and really showcase his both strength and talent. And singularity, I mean, that's what came across, actually, for me, watching the film with Isabella, is how much she could identify as a performer herself, that he was both classically, uh, rigorously trained, but had so much of a personal character to the movement that's something that was instructive for me to watch it with this amazing dancer who could pull out those kinds of ways of looking at movement and at dance
2: I love how it builds too from him being in a more natural location and doing slow and lyrical movements and then to the fast turns and then the big grand jetés It has a nice upward build through the physicality of what he's doing. I
0: wouldn't know that without you, it's really? true. Yeah. Of course, there's an arc yeah. to the movements as well, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: In the beginning, he's a tree. <laughs> I don't know, that's what I see. And then he becomes a dancer. And what year was it made? It's from 45. 45. Yeah. It's so incredible. And like so it, contemporary? Yeah, no, so contemporary. Like, okay, yeah. And just to have a woman <laughs> making her own films at that time, so cool. A, a woman in an African-American. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah. I'm embarrassed to admit, no, I didn't no. really know much about Kelly ta- ta- Beatty, ta- yeah. but as I was reading about it, it was just sad <laughs> to read about the discrimination he encountered, I guess, as a dancer who's grown up benefiting from white privilege. It's been so eye-opening to, I don't know, start to learn about. You just think the art world's always been so accepting and so diverse but unfortunately that hasn't always been the case.
0: It bears saying that it was revolutionary in the mid-40s to make this kind of work. A work that wasn't a straight document, that had movement but no sound, that was not rational or narrative in the way that its shots and its sets and its spaces were melding into one another. I think it's a work that can continue to tell us so much about both art forms, but also about seeing the talents and the bodies that are right in front of us.
2: It feels like a celebration of him and just how beautiful he is and, like, powerful and strong and athletic. It's a thing that you'll
0: you see it in gallery, you watch it over and over again, sometimes you see it and it's wistful and dreamlike, and sometimes you see it and you're like, whoa.
1: And if you happen to be in New York, you can see it, or at least a version transferred to video – because Tally Beatty and Maya Deren's study in choreography for camera is now on view in one of the recently rehung galleries at MoMA surrounded by works which also draw upon the exciting creative energy that galvanized New York immediately after the Second World War Before Isabella left Sophie took her up to see the film again in this new setting and there in the open spaces of the gallery mirroring the museum in the central part of Deren and Beatty's film Isabella suddenly found it impossible to resist responding in the way she knew best.
2: It's really striking when you walk into the room and you see him. And honestly, it just makes me want to dance. <laughs> just want to, like, move around. I want to be him in the museum. <laughs> That's the Soda Basque step. Cool. Well, I feel like the more I watch it, the more I love it. <laughs> I feel like at the end he's like, bring it on. <laughs> World, yeah, bring it on
1: You've been listening to The Way I See It with me, Alistair Souk You can hear more episodes from this series by searching for The Way I See It on BBC Sounds This
0: is Acast Recommends Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love
2: from the Manhattan to the Martini to the Negroni, cocktails and spirits have never been more popular than they are today. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast half-full editor.
1: And I'm David Wondrich, the Daily Beast senior drinks columnist, and we're the hosts of the podcast Life Behind Bars, which won the 2018 Tales of the Cocktail Spirited Award for the world's best drinks podcast. Yes, we do get paid to drink for a living.
2: So, shake up a drink and join us for a mix of engaging stories and historical facts about the greatest bartenders and the greatest drinks of all time. Cheers.
0: Cheers. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts.